If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. If you miss out on a top-tier second baseman this season, you should probably just quit your draft. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, February 8th. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. And I'm just kidding. Don't quit your draft. We'll help you get through it by breaking down the entire second base position, strategy, ADP, targets, busts, and much more. But as always, let's start with a little outlook, some strategy before we get into the ADP talk. Chris, we'll start with you today. How would you describe the second base position? There is some top tier talent, but you gotta wait all the way until the third round. There's none going in the first two rounds this year, according to ADP. Yeah, there's no elite elite players at second base. There's no there's not really a ton of very good depth. There's probably a decent amount of useful players, especially in your roto leagues, because there are going to be guys who steal bases and hit for average. But there's definitely not going to be as much power as we've gotten used to at the second base position. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I think primarily the dejuiced ball, which is what we saw last season, and the the increased use of humidors made it so that the marginal power guys are no longer able to hit for, you know, 20 plus homers. And and I think the the stat that I would point to to highlight this is just here are the number of players who played at least 20 games at second base each season and hit 20 plus home runs. We'll start in 2013. Three, three, two. So that's 2013, 2014, 2015, three, three, two. 2016, 15, 14, 10, 17, None technically in 2020, but, you know, uh, 17 again in 2021, six last season. There were 102 players total 
who hit 20 plus home runs in 2021. There were 71 in 2022. That's across all positions. So 11 of the 31 uh, total number who dropped from 2021 to 2022 were at second base, which is exactly what we talked about happening last season. You know, when we talked about the juice ball and the, the possibility of fewer home runs being hit across the league, yeah, the, the high-end guys would probably lose some, but we really thought it was going to be those middling, you know, 45-grade power guys who were ba- being able to scrape by 20 home runs. All of a sudden, they wouldn't be able to, and that's what we saw last season. Second base particularly affected by that, and I think that's probably going to be the case moving forward. It's not going to be back to the early 2000s where no middle infielders hit for power or, you know, Jeff Kent was the only one, but... We're going to have substantially fewer second basemen who are real big boppers now than we've gotten used to over the past five seasons. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to make for a a shallower position. We've seen a leveling off of the positional scarcity conversation. I don't know what the right word there is, but that's back. I don't think it's peaks and valleys. You know, I don't think it's a, a situation where like your whole draft strategy strategy should depend on positional scarcity. Now, Scott and I disagree a little bit on the the extent of that, but I think we all agree that second base isn't as strong as it has been the past, the, you know, the previous five seasons before last year. Absolutely. If you just look at ADP, right, among all of the positions uh, for hitters, second base is the one that's going last. JT Romuto, yeah. there's a catcher going ahead of the first second baseman that's drafted. Obviously, there's third baseman being drafted. You have to wait. Then you get to the third round, and you know we have Marcus Semien and Jose Altuve, and we'll talk about all those guys. I thought it was a great stat that you brought up, Chris, and it lends itself, Scott, to what you've talked about a lot so far this offseason is that you want to emphasize power and you want to grab power. We don't really have as much of it to go around. So if you want to get it early, uh, I think that that makes a ton of sense. But overall, you know, how does that kind of work itself into your second base strategy for this season? Well, I mean, I, I think second base is the thinnest position of, of all positions, counting pitcher, counting outfield, counting third base, counting catcher. I think second base is the thinnest of all, at least from the perspective of here, th- this is how many guys you feel confident you can bank on at the position. There are... <sighs> Very few. I'm not even sure what I put the number at, but the the number four guy in my rankings, Jazz Chisholm, is not somebody who I think fits the description of this is a guy you can bank on because like he's never put together a full season before. So there are very few at this position. Uh, and I've said before uh, uh, on, on past podcasts before we started recording the position previews that getting one of those top three second basemen, presumably in round three, is my top priority in drafts this year. Having done a few more drafts since then, I don't think it's my top priority. I think it's my second priority. I I do think that even though second base is the thinnest position and bankable options, it's still more critical to fill third base early because it it has it has a good number of them, but they're pretty much all gone by the end of round two, and um, and then you're really probably going to have to reach for one of just a few decent players left at the position. In contrast, second base, while you know I don't feel great about what comes after Altuve, Simeon, Ozzy Albies, and Jazz Chisholm, like, first of all, your competition is going to have less bankables too. So you don't have to 
keep up with the Joneses as much at second base. And second of all, it feels like there are more bounce back candidates here. All, all the depth that was lost from 2022 to now, you look at some of those guys and think, yeah, I could see him bouncing back. So it doesn't feel, you know, in the middle stages of the draft, it doesn't feel as desolate second base as, as third base does. I, I think that's the key. Second base, third base has more interesting prospects, I think, at least who are likely to be on the opening day roster or be here quickly. You know, uh, Jordan Walker, Brett Beatty, Josh Young, those guys. Like, I think second base doesn't have as many of those guys in the high level of the minors or on major league rosters. But what second base has the third base doesn't have is like Gene Segura types. <laughs> yes. Who like aren't exciting. There's nothing exciting about Gene Segura, but like, there are worse things than having Gene Segura hit, you know, 270 with, you know, 15-15 in your lineup at the top of a lineup. Like, second base, actually, I, I think, like, when I go through my rankings, you know, I've got Tyro Estrada at 18. I've got Von Grissom at 19, and, and maybe that's too low for Von Grissom because I, I know we all like him as a breakout candidate. Um, but, like, even Brendan Rodgers is someone that I could very easily see, you know, finally getting the course field bump, the underlying skill set suggests that he's been, he's deserved better than he's gotten. And so I, I could see there being like more useful players in the 150 to 200 range of your drafts at second base than third base. It's just third base obviously has, you know, six high impact players, whereas second base has three or four. I, I, Gene Segura is only 17th in my rankings, too. So if that's where you're putting the line, like Gene Segura is not getting drafted in every league, um, which, you know, only furthers your point. But I'm, yeah. I'm saying there are even better options than that if you don't like the sound of Gene Segura. Right, right. Josh Rojas, if you're into the, the potential power speed combo, you know, Jorge, there are Jorge Polanco, Brandon Lau and, and even Ketel like Marte specifically. I think Gavin Lux is pretty boring, but like. I can see a path for him being a pretty useful fantasy option. He was last season if he wasn't great. That's I think that's the key distinction between second and third base. I think the position will will be it will be made or broken. That's not make or break based on the bounce back potential of these guys, right? Jonathan India, Cattell Marte, Brandon mm -hmm. Lau, and Jorge Polanco. Polanco and Brandon Lau, they were top forty players. In 2021, they were riddled with injury last year. Uh, Jonathan India, I believe he was top 70 player two years ago. He won the National League Rookie of the Year. He was riddled with injury last year as well. Gatel Marte, I mean, it's it's been one hamstring injury after another. Yeah. I just I don't know if he has the capability of staying healthy anymore. But you'll see that in ADP, he's going beyond the top 200 picks. So most people are basically just wiping their hands. They're done with Gatel Marte, but. You know, as a result, that there could be a buying opportunity there. Let's jump into ADP. We have just two second basemen going in the first 40 picks, none of which are going in the first two rounds. And last year, at the least, we had Trey Turner, who was going in the first round, arguably the top overall player. He had second base eligibility heading into last year's drafts, but will not have it heading into this year. We'll start things off with Marcus Semien, who has an ADP of 28.5. If you remember, he got off to a dreadful start his first season in Texas. 199 batting average, one homer, a 540 OPS through the first two months of the season. Then, 
from June 1st on. He hit 268, 25 home runs with an 810 OPS. He was one of four players to go 25-25 last year. He's got the power. He's got the speed. He actually improved the strikeout rate last year as well. Uh, so I don't know that there's another level here, Scott, but I don't think that there needs to be. I, I think Marcus Semien is pretty safe in terms of the power speed, and he's probably going to hit you 250 to 260. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's somebody I would be thrilled to get in round three. He's not my number one second baseman. I do strongly prefer Jose Altuve to him, and we'll get to that, I guess, in a minute. But but Marcus Simeon is going to be... I would say he's the most likely 2020 candidate at the position. And um, the the real concern for him is... Will the effects of the humidor in colder weather impact him in those early months again? Yes. As it impacted much of the league, but especially a guy like him who doesn't really make especially hard contact, even though he hits a decent number of home runs. I do think it was unseasonably cold early last season, so hopefully that won't extend as deep into the year as it did last year. But if you do invest big in Marcus Simeon and that happens again, you're just going to have to keep the faith and remember that um, atmospheric conditions with with the way the humidors being used have a greater influence than they did in the past. I think you should absolutely expect him to struggle in April. I just think he's specifically his skill set, the fact that he relies so much on doing damage on batted balls, hitting the air to the pull side. It's not like he's hitting towering fly balls or anything like that. So I I do think he is someone who is going to be adversely affected more than your typical player uh, by what we assume will be depressed offense early in the season as a result of the humidor and, and colder conditions. Last point on Marcus Semien, Chris. One thing that I noticed is... I, I mostly trust him in terms of the speed. Like, he's fast enough to run. I worry mm-hmm. a little bit about the manager tendencies because under Chris Woodward, they were the most aggressive team on the base paths. Three seasons under Chris Woodward, they led baseball in steals. 414 steals during that time uh, were the Texas Rangers. Now they have a new manager in Bruce Bochy, you know, a little bit more old school. They didn't run as much when he was the manager of San Francisco. What do you think, Chris? Is that where you at all when it comes to the manager tendency? Some, but I think it's more that I'm not expecting 25 steals again anyway. You know, it's more 15 to 20 steals. And, you know, I I think it wouldn't surprise me if he was just a little bit worse across the board this season than last season. I think there's probably going to be a, a fairly thin margin for error for him moving forward in his career because of the the type of hitter he is and how much he relies on you know, 380 foot home runs hit to the pole side. So like, I I think he carries pretty sizable risk across the board for a player being drafted as early as he is. It's not to say I don't think he's worth being drafted that early because on the whole I do. I just, I'm with Scott. I think Jose Altuve is the better player. And let's make it a clean sweep because I have Jose Altuve ranked number one at the position as well. His ADP is 37.5. So he's going about nine picks after Marcus Simeon. He finished 19th overall in Roto last year, still being somewhat disrespected in terms of the ADP. He hit 300, uh, 28 home runs. He got back to running 18 steals. Mm -hmm. That was his most since 2017. He had a total of 13 steals. 
the previous three seasons combined from 2019 through 2021. And Scott Altuve is just a great hitter. I mean, he arguably had one of the best pure hitting seasons of his career. 921 OPS, 164 weighted runs created plus. Those were both fourth best among qualified hitters last year. So I just think he's a better hitter all around than Marcus Semien. And I love the fact that he got back to running last year. So it's yeah. it's pretty easy for me as well. I he, think he's the number one second baseman. He might be the most disrespected player in fantasy right now. I Because he, he had the, like the only real... Um, you, you look one at his, bad, his one bad partial season, basically. Yeah, 2020 was the only real misstep for him, and it was a weird season, and it was a season where the Astros were under a ton of scrutiny because the uh, sign stealing scandal had just broken. Jose Altuve specifically was under a lot of scrutiny, and even in that season, once they got to the playoffs, he looked a lot more like Jose Altuve. So he's been he's been basically a, a stud since then. He has a clear batting average advantage over Marcus Simeon. I, I mean. 40 to 60 points difference in all likelihood there. Um, he, he probably has a slight power advantage I over think so, Simeon. Yeah. And I think the steals could be a wash. I mean, Altuve is still a fast runner. It was kind of weird that he stopped running. He was 18-4-19 in steals last year. And of course, it's going to get a lot easier to steal bases this year, as we've talked about constantly. I think somebody like Altuve um, is well positioned to take advantage of that. So I'm not counting on a big step back in stolen bases, but I don't think he needs it to be the number one second baseman. Consider this. So for, you know, we, we're kind of framing things in a five-by-five five roto context, but if you look at points per game at second base among those who got 300 at-bats or more, number one was Altuve with 3.61. Number two is Marcus Simeon, 3.14, almost half a point difference. That was the biggest gap between number one and number two at a position, except for at outfield, of course, where Judge was just far and away the best hitter in baseball. So, yeah, I would say Altuve definitely number one for me. Another reason I think that the steals could remain for Jose Altuve is it seemed like it was an organizational thing for for the Astros last year. They were 16th in steals after finishing 27th the year before. So overall, they were just more aggressive as a team. We saw Kyle Tucker approach 30 steals last year as well. And I, I think Altuve is good for at least 12 to 15, but it wouldn't surprise me if he you know, comes close to, to pushing 20 steals once again. Let's drop down another round, and we've got two more going in this range of drafts. We got Jazz Chisholm with an ADP of 49 and Ozzy Albies with an ADP of 50. We know the issue with Jazz. He has not been able to stay healthy. Only 60 games played last year, 124 the year before that. And uh, last season, it was a stress fracture in his back. And then it turned out he had surgery on a torn meniscus in his knee as well. But Chris, he was well on his way to that breakout season. 14 home runs, 12 steals in 60 games. That is a 35 homer, 30 steal pace over 150. Can he play that many? I'm not sure. Now he's playing center field as well. He's got to learn a new position. Maybe that involves running around more, maybe a little bit more uh, risk for injury as well for Jazz Chisholm. But, man, in terms of quality of contact and just power speed upside, he might have the most at the position. I think he unquestionably has the most at the position. It's That's not a knock on Jose Altuve, who's a great player, but like nobody else at the position has the potential really for a 30-30 season. I think that's well within the realm of possibility for Jazz Chisholm. He carries a lot of risk. It's a volatile profile, not just because of the 
injury issues, but also because of the the skill set itself. You know, he he swings hard. He's got improving plate discipline, but there's certainly room for improvement. But that's also a reason why, you know, you could see Jazz Chisholm being as good or even better on a per game basis moving forward because he did already make a leap. He's clearly improving. He's someone who's improved a lot just from when he was in the minors to now. And so, you know, the gap between where Jazz is right now and where he could be, I think still exists. I think there's still room for him to grow. And on a per game basis, he was arguably the best player in, at the position last season, you know, and in, even in fantasy points per game, which is not his best format. He was right there with Altuve. I, mean, I think it was 0.1 points per game behind him. So it was three point six one for Altuve, three point four seven for Chisholm. I yeah. did specify when I gave the point per game stat before at least three hundred at bats, which Chisholm didn't mm. get to. But A he minimum was, minimum sixty one games. You know, he was. <laughs> those were the clear one and two in points yeah. per game at the position last year. With the, with Altuve still ahead, but but yeah, there's. You know, Chisholm's only 25 years old, so there's room for him to keep improving, as Chris is saying. And so that's why, you know, if there's one of these elite players that I'm likeliest to target, I think it's probably Jazz, just because I think the chances of him, like, if he stays healthy, I wouldn't say he has as good of a chance to to be the number one player as Jose Altuve, but there's probably a much smaller gap. Like most of the gap in their price, I think should be, should be accounted for by the injury risk. And I'm fine taking a flyer on, on, on Chisholm at that point. And one thing I love about Jazz is that he crushes the ball. Other second basemen, you do not see batted ball data like this. 90.4 mm-hmm. mile per hour average exit velocity, a 16.7% barrel rate. That is by far the best at the second base position. So uh, he crushes the ball. I think you can count on that, but it's just a matter of now staying on the field for Jazz Chisholm. Ozzy Albies, next up, the ADP is 50, going back-to-back here, basically with Jazz Chisholm. A lost season for Ozzy Albies. Fractured his foot in June, then fractured his finger in September, shortly after returning. He was disappointing even before that. He hit 247 last year, eight home runs, three steals, Uh, He doesn't walk much. We know that. He does make a lot of contact, which obviously helps for him, Scott. He's someone who, Ozzie Albies, he's kind of like Francisco Lindor in that he doesn't put up like these big OPS numbers, but he does have power and speed. He finds a way to maximize his skill set, and he's part of a really good lineup with the Atlanta Braves. With that being said, you know, some people are, are worried about where he is going to bat in that lineup, Scott. How worried are you about that? And who do you take, Ozzie or Jazz? I mean, I'm not worried about that because it's like it's going to be second through sixth and it'll probably vary over the course of the season. He uh, I think he's been the number two hitter for most of his time being managed by Brian Snitker. It's just that Dansby Swanson kind of claimed that role early last season and, and never let go of it. But he's gone. now. So, yeah, I mean, that just there, there just seems like much bigger things to worry about than where Ozzy Albies is batting in the lineup. This is one of those situations where I never know. Like, I, it makes sense to speak to the averages because the averages uh, are, are the averages because that's the most common scenario. But, like, sometimes it's there are the averages and there's my personal experience. And my personal experience is I've never seen Jazz Chisholm go ahead of Ozzy Albies in a draft despite what ADP shows. And my personal experience also is that 
because of the scarcity of high-end second basemen, Jazz Chisholm and Ozzie Albies both tend to get pushed up to closer uh, to Marcus Simeon and Jose Altuve than ADP shows. And so maybe that'll happen in your league. Maybe I'm seeing an address because it's the start of the trend. People uh, coming around to this, this the, the, the fact that position scarcity matters more this year. I would say personally, if uh, I, I am willing to contribute to Ozzy Albies being pushed up, I'm willing to take him in round three so that I, that I don't miss out at second base. I'm not willing to do that for Chisholm because of like he's he's been so brittle to begin his career. I, I I assume at some point he'll be able to stay healthy for a full season, but until I see it happen, I'm going to be skeptical of it. Ozzy Albies, on the other hand, like prior to last year, which was he, he broke a couple of bones and it ended up being a lost season for him. But prior to that, he was considered the most bankable second baseman of all, even Trey Turner out of it because obviously he was just a one-off at second base. He was considered the most bankable of players at the position, a reliable early-round contributor. Um, and so I'm still willing to give him that benefit of the doubt after one lost season. There is one more interesting thing about Albies, though, and that's that the production when he was healthy last year wasn't very good. It wasn't up to Ozzy Albies' standards. And because he's one of these players like many middle infielders who doesn't actually impact the ball that hard to deliver the power. Scott, move your mic around because it's kind of wonky right now. Uh, Because, okay, does it sound better now? Yeah, it sounds better. Because he's one of these middle infielders who doesn't impact the ball hard enough especially hard for getting the power that he does. Could he have been a victim of the juice ball going away and we just didn't get a chance to see it play out for a full season? That is in the back of my mind with Ozzy Albies. But the majority of the time he was healthy was basically when it was cold and nobody was hitting that well. And again, it's a 62-game sample, right? versus the career track record, which is very stable and steady. And bottom line, I think it's a clear top three at second base. And I put Ozzy Albies closer to Jose Altuve and Marcus Simeon than not. People have many concerns when it comes to Ozzy Albies. We'll hear Chris's concerns in just a little bit. But last thing I'll point out, Scott, in terms of being a bankable asset, the last three full seasons Albies has played, his overall finish in Roto, 16th, 35th, 45th. So he's been pretty bankable as a top 50 asset in Roto Leagues uh, his past three full years played. Two more second basemen going from pick 70 to 80, and then we see a big drop in ADP. Tommy Edmond going at pick 71, and Andres Jimenez at pick 80. Uh, Tommy Edmond, basically two identical years in a row. He hit 265, 13 home runs, 95 runs scored, 32 steals. The year before, he hit 262, 11 home runs, 91 runs scored, 30 steals. He seems pretty bankable at this point. Maybe it's unfair of me to say, I still feel like the floor is a little bit lower for Edmund. I know he got knocked down to ninth in the lineup at some point last year. He started 31 games, batting ninth for the Cardinals last year. And then Andres Jimenez had this breakout season where he hit 17 home runs, 20 steals, a 297 batting average, uh, a career year. He just turned 24 years old in September. Chris, if you miss out on speed early on in your drafts, in particular in a Roto League, not only can you find them with these two guys, but you can help shore up your second base position. I, I'm, yeah, and I'm much more likely, I think, to take Tommy Edmond at cost than 
Andres Jimenez. I think I took Jimenez in one of the drafts that we did recently, but it was because he fell, you know, into the like the 90 plus range. You know, I, I, Edmund being the number five second baseman in consensus rankings and ADP and all that is sort of a damning with faint praise kind of thing and, and sort of emblematic of why second base is fairly weak because, you know, he he's kind of a two and a half category guy. He's a really good stolen base guy. He's probably a pretty good runs guy. And then he's like perfectly acceptable in batting average. He's probably not going to help you. He's not going to hurt you. He's just, But he's not really going to give you anything else. You know, maybe 10 home runs, maybe 60, 70 RBI. But he's not going to be a difference maker anywhere, really, except steals. And so it's kind of just a, hey, it's the sixth round and I need steals in the second baseman. I'll take Tommy Edmond. But I'm... I'm usually not going to be particularly excited about him. You know, there there was like the, I do remember some like, ah, maybe we underrated Tommy Edmonds upside after he had like three home runs in the first four games last year. And then he ended up with basically identical numbers to the previous season. Scott, let's talk about Andres Jimenez here. Someone I know. Well, could, could, I, could I just say something real quick on, on, uh, on uh, what's his name? Andres Jimenez. Ooh, I, over, I oversold Tommy Edmonds RBI 57 and 56 the last two seasons. So Edmund, I think obviously his value has been bolstered in, in five by five leagues in particular because he's a stolen base specialist and those are so scarce. Uh, but that is exactly the kind of player that I'm, at least in my head, trying to devalue in drafts because mm-hmm. I think that stolen bases are going to be easier enough to find that you shouldn't have to rely on stolen base specialists. I think there's going to be a democratization of steals similar to the democratization of home runs we've talked about during the juice ball era where it was a lot easier for non-home run hitters to hit 20 home runs. I think um, I think it's going to – I think the effect of the rule changes is going to impact the non-base stealing class more than somebody like Edmund so that like it's less likely he's going to go from 30 steals to 50 steals than somebody totally random at this position is going to become a 20-steal guy. Like if, if if mainly you're just drafting a guy because he's a base stealer, it's probably not a good idea to draft him. That's kind of the way I'm approaching Edmund and others like him this year. I do think it's a little bit unfair to call him a specialist, Scott, just because, again, I, he doesn't help you, but he doesn't hurt you. Like the batting average is fine, 10 to 12 home runs. Again, it's not, it's not like he's John Birdie where he's giving you, you know, like three, four home runs, something like that. He still contributes in other categories too. So I, I want to give him, I want to give Tommy Edmund his credit, but I, I hear what you're saying in terms of maybe not overemphasizing steals uh, in those early rounds. Andres Jimenez, uh, last season, he was very good, as I mentioned. A peek under the hood though, Scott, I worry if he can maintain the gains in strikeout rate. He went from 26% in 2021 to 20% last year, yet he chases a lot. His chase rate is 40.7% for his career. League average is around you know 31%, uh, and the expected numbers were much lower. The XBA, the X-slug, much lower than the actual numbers. How worried are you when it comes to Jimenez? Yeah, I have concerns. I have concerns. I mean, look, the numbers last year were great. If he does that again, he's being underdrafted by quite a bit especially given how shallow the position is he was nearly a 30 30 guy i mean sorry he was nearly a 20 20 guy came within three home runs of it who also nearly hit 300 297 so that's like you know the runs in rbi were low but um you know if he if he does that again they'll probably go up and it'll be a value here so i find even though i'm not super confident in jimenez 
I find I end up drafting him a lot. If I don't get one of those three second basemen in round three, it's just like, well, you have to fill the position with somebody. And it's easy to see the glass half full at a position where there's so many half empty glasses, you know? Um, but yes, he was one of the biggest overachievers in both XBA and X slug last year. You look at, you look a little deeper at the batted ball data and he is especially good at pulling the ball in the air. And that is, that is how players who don't hit the ball very hard can still manage to put up decent home run totals in the post juice ball era. So Andres Jimenez does get that right. And so maybe he'll just remain this overachiever according to Statcast year after year. But after only one year of that, I think skepticism is warranted. I do think he's going to be a base stealer either way. Like it might end up being a wash who ends up stealing the most bases between Tommy Edmond and Andres Jimenez, given how fast uh, Jimenez is 94th percentile sprint speed. So, you know, even if he declines in home runs and batting average, it's still, he still might justify the price tag. I think Jimenez is like the second base version of Nathaniel Lowe, where I think he's like aggressively fine, but I don't know where improvement comes from. And it's easier for me to see a step back than a step forward. Like if he does what he did last year, he's perfectly fine. Not a difference maker. I think both him and Nate Lowe, not difference making players, but perfectly fine starters. I just, I have a hard time seeing how those guys get better. After Andres Jimenez with an ADP of 80, we have to drop down 40 plus spots. So again, there's a big, you know, drop off in terms of talent. I would say um, maybe not a big drop off, but there is a drop off after the first four second basemen, the group we just talked about. Now after those two, we drop down uh, from picks. 120 to 160. There's three names going there. Glaber Torres with an ADP of 122.5. Max Muncy at 149.5. And Whit Merrifield at 155.5. Chris, big bounce back season for Glaber Torres last year. He hit 257, 24 home runs, 10 steals. He was the top 80 player in Roto last year. He was much more aggressive. He hit the ball in the air more. He hit the ball harder than ever before. So, Tangible changes that we can see that Glaber Torres made last year. Do you find yourself, you know, if you miss out on that early group, do you find yourself targeting a Glaber or you just kind of waiting for the next group after that? I find it fascinating that he's, what is this, our second baseman number six in ADP or seven? This would be number seven. Because he's nine in our consensus ranks, the three of us, and... I feel like he goes a lot later than 122.5. 122.5, like I don't dislike Labor Torres, but when I see that price, it's like, oh no, I, I'm not going to draft him there. And I I wouldn't consider it there. Thank God he got he's second base eligible. You know, thank God he's no longer a shortstop because he'd be 22nd at shortstop probably. Um, I think he's fine. I think there's a little bit of inflation in his price just because we can remember 2020 2019 and the 38 homers and you know he doesn't get to play at the old Camden yards again and the Orioles have a better pitching staff so he's not going to do that again I think he's settled in as a as a perfectly fine starter the counting stats are always weirdly low um and I I, I don't see any reason for that to change I I can't get worked up about him either way 
You know what's crazy? It feels like Glaber Torres has been around forever. He's entering his age 26 season. It's just yeah. kind of crazy to think about how long he's been around. Scott, Max Muncy, someone I know that you do have some confidence this upcoming season. The ADP is 149.5, and he had a wonky offseason last year where he was dealing with the torn UCL in his elbow, and it feels like for most of last season, Scott, he was also dealing with that injury. Uh, something uh, I found a quote here from the Dodgers Nation podcast just talking about this offseason, and he said, it's been great, it's nice to be healthy going into the offseason again, been able to actually work out really hard, which has been nice. Last year with elbow injury, I wasn't able to do anything at all, and obviously I feel like that hurt me a lot. I'm a guy who likes to get after it in the offseason, so it's nice to be able to get back into that. And on top of that, Scott, we have the final two months last year for Max Muncy mm-hmm. where he hit 247, 12 homers, 92.3 mile per hour average exit velocity, he kind of looked like he was Max Muncy again, finally. Yep. Yep. The, uh, the switch flipped there over the final two months, and he looked like Max Muncy again, as you said. And it wasn't just in terms of the numbers, since there was that issue with the weather and it was cold this time of year and it warmed up and everybody got better. It wasn't just that. You point out the exit velocity, 92.3 miles per hour during those final two months. It was 88.9 before that. So he just got better. And I think. I think it's pretty easy to see what happened there. Like he, he had this, this kind of grisly elbow injury that he didn't have any kind of surgery for. Just trusted it to get better, and um, it took a lot longer than I think he or the Dodgers uh, thought or hoped it would. So you were saying there's a drop off from Tommy Edmond and Andres Jimenez to this group. I actually think Max Muncy deserves to be on the other side of the drop-off. I put him with Edmund and uh, and Jimenez. Um, it's a little harder to say in Roto Leagues because you know he's probably a 240-250 hitter, a liability in that category. And he, you don't get the advantage of his all his walks like you do in a points league. So he's better in points leagues for sure. But even in Roto Leagues, the fact he's... Is he the most likely second baseman to hit 30 home runs? It's a very small group if he is. So I have another guy who I would group with Jimenez, not Edmund. I do have Edmund clear of those two guys, but I have another second baseman, Brandon Lau, who I would group ahead. I have him ahead of Glaber and Muncy. Um, and I think he is as likely as Muncy to hit 30 home runs. Yeah, and I have a stat that I think supports that as well. We'll get to Brandon Lau in just a little bit. One, more. one, thing, one thing I do want to say about Muncy, if I can. Yep. Um, you know, when we say like he looked like himself the last two months, he basically hit like a typical Max Muncy season from August 1st on or whatever it was. The only thing I would say is like the real Max Muncy, the Max Muncy we get excited for or got excited for, his hot streaks were a lot more impressive than that. And so that's the thing that I wonder is like, did he look like himself? was this a hot streak and it was just the hot streak version of the, the the hot streak from the new version of Max Muncy looks like the standard baseline of the old Max Muncy. Cause remember this was a guy who had like a thousand OPS prior to the all-star game in 2021. I think it was 972 uh, heading into the all-star game. He made the all-star game. He was amazing. And so that's the only thing when it's like, ah, Max Muncy's back to being himself. And we're not drafting him like he's being back to being himself, so that doesn't matter. But the hot streak that we did did see wasn't as impressive as the hot streaks we used to see for Max Muncy. So that's that's where I still have my questions about the performance for him. 
Yeah, he's been a very streaky player, Chris. I totally get what you're saying. I just looked at his entire Dodgers career, right? There's been peaks, there's been valleys for Max Muncie. Since he joined the Dodgers in 2018, his OPS is 850. His OPS over the final two months last season? 858. 858, yeah. So yeah. it's it's not really far off when you consider all things, but I hear what you're saying. It wasn't this incredibly hot stretch that we know Max Muncie uh, to go on in years past. I don't know that he's completely over the elbow injury either. I feel like it's something that could still mm-hmm. flare up. So we're not like in the clear, but there are good signs for Max Muncie moving forward. Someone I really don't know what to do about this season is Whit Merrifield. His ADP is 155.5. Uh, last year, he was being drafted as a top 40 player and basically just put up career lows across the board. 250 batting average, 673 OPS, a 276 BABIP, which was supported by a career low 19.7% line drive rate. Whit Merrifield routinely over 24%. I know line drive rate isn't really sticky, but for someone like Whitmer Merrifield, I kind of think it is because it was high every single season except for last year. Uh, and then when he got traded to the Blue Jays, he wasn't playing every day. It was almost like the Blue Jays had buyer's remorse. Kind of caught fire towards the end of the season. But Scott, I've got to say, I, I really do not know what to do when it comes to Whit Merrifield. Yeah, I think I'm out. I think I'm out. You, you got a guy in his mid-30s who doesn't have much natural power at all at a time when those guys in particular are suffering. And what makes it even easier is he got traded to the Blue Jays and they didn't treat him like an everyday player. They, they played him you know, pretty good amount, but his appeal with the Royals was that he played literally every single day. They have Santiago Espinal, who was an all-star at second baseman last year. I think he's worse than Merrifield, even though he happened to make an all-star game, but... Like they're probably going to play him a fair amount too. Maryfield can play some outfield, but I don't think it's going to be an everyday situation. And I don't think you can trust him to be a prolific base dealer anymore, uh, even when he does play. I will say, if you are someone that has confidence in Maryfield, the skill set for where he's going in roto drafts, if you think he can get back to being a 270, 20-plus steal kind of guy, that is a valuable skill set. And he has second base and outfield eligibility. It's just I don't think that I have that confidence that he will bounce back to that player once again. Let's take a break. Before we do that, reminder to sign up for our Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. If you haven't already, cbssports.com slash newsletters. You click on the FBT logo. You punch in your email. It's easy as that. It's free. It gets delivered right to your email inbox. It's written up by our buddy Dan Schneier. He does a great job. Takes some things from the podcast. Takes some things from articles and sends it directly to you. And again, it's free. So why not? And if you want to support Chris, you can sign up for the Fantasy Football Today newsletter as well. Let's take a break and we'll be back right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. 
That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. All right, let's do some second base sleepers, breakouts, and busts. And gentlemen, let's keep it tight. We've got a lot of more interesting names to talk about here. And let's start with Chris. Give us a sleeper at second base. Yeah, it's someone we talked about at third base, DJ LeMahieu. I, I think the chances of a bounce back are, are pretty solid. I, I know there are some concerns about him playing every day, but I think that's one of those concerns that goes away if he's a low 800s bat, low 800s OPS bat. And that's basically what he was before that toe injury last season. I think it was through the end of July he was, you know, hitting close to 300, was driving runs in. So I, I think DJ LeMahieu can still be a, a very solid fallback option at either second or third base. And I know that there was an article that came out on The Athletic here on Tuesday, February 7th. It was written by uh, Brendan Cutie, Cutie? Uh, K-U-T-Y, apologies if I'm not saying it correctly, but basically talked about how DJ LeMahieu is is feeling better and he's hitting and he's part of their off-season workout program and I think it just comes down to health. Um, if he's healthy and he's hitting, he's going to play. I, I think that is fair to say for DJ LeMahieu. Scott, a sleeper for you at second base. My sleeper is Jorge Polanco uh, among those bounce-back candidates that you listed off at the start, which included... Brandon Lau, Cattell Marte, Jonathan India. Polanco's my favorite of that group. And I, I think it's because I, I see the potential for him to, to, to regain in, in several areas. Um, first of all, the fact he hits 16 home runs, you know, that's obviously a step down from the 33 or whatever he hit two years ago. But it was 16 and only 375 at bats because of time he missed with injury. So it was actually a pretty good pace. It was like a 20. He didn't really decline as much as, as you might think in that area. He's always done well pulling the ball in there, which as I said, plays well in this environment. Um, so I think power, he's fine. He was one of the biggest underachievers according to Statcast in both batting average and expected batting average X slug. Um, his expected batting average was 13 points higher than his actual one. His expected slug was 46 points higher than his actual one. So uh, StatCast itself sees room for improvement there. I think he could get back to being a decent source of batting average. We saw him hit 295 in 2019. He hit 288 the year before that. He has always had a high line drive rate. Really, he's been good at avoiding ground balls. High line drive rate, high fly ball rate, which is usually a good combination for a hitter. And so there's potential for him to improve there based on that. And while he hasn't been a big base stealer before, stolen double-digit bases a couple times, he's pretty fast. 73rd percentile sprint speed. I, I think that could be something that he brings back into the mix as well with the rule changes taking effect this year. So he doesn't have to improve in all three of those areas to live up to his ADP or to be a deserving starter in fantasy. But, you know, he gives you two of the three. It's a, it's a pretty nice pretty nice discount for you. I like Polanco as a fallback option as well. He was the 24th overall player in Roto in 2021. I will point out the injuries that he suffered, back tightness and knee inflammation, those are things that 
could be debilitating, especially, you know, he's turning 30 years old this year. So I worry about the injuries, but if Jorge Polanco can stay on the field, uh, I do like him as a sleeper myself as well. Uh, sleeper for me is Jonathan India. I like him to bounce back. The ADP is 193. Maybe I'm simplifying this, but he suffered a hamstring injury in April, and I just don't think he was ever the same after that last season. Uh, as a rookie in 2021, he hit 269, 21 home runs, 12 steals. He was a top 70 player that year. Uh, he doesn't hit the ball hard. I get that, but he can maximize it because he pulls everything and he hits in great American ballparks. So if there is a ballpark where you could just maximize your skill, much like we talked about for Tyler Stevenson the other day, I do think Jonathan India can pull that off as well. All right, it's time to eat, cats. So <laughs> you hear that in the background. Uh, let's move over to breakouts. Chris, you already spoke about jazzism. I, I don't know that there's anything else to add. Nope, nope. We already covered it. I made the case for him already. All right, fair enough. Scotty, you and I have the same breakout here at second base, and it is blank. It's Vaughn Grissom, who clearly the Braves like a lot because they let Dansby Swanson walk. They didn't. Uh, they didn't bring in a free agent shortstop to to you know kind of hold down the fort there in his place. Seems like the plan is just to turn it over to Grissom, even though last year the the thinking was he he'll never be able to handle shortstop. That's that's not something he has the skill set for, despite playing it in the minors. Of course, we're talking about him at second base because that's the position he was called up to play late last season. That's where he has eligibility of fantasy now, and that's where we'd rather him have eligibility, frankly. Um, but the point is, the Braves like him enough that it seems like he's going to get every day at bats this year, and if he just prorate his, his stats over a full season, it's pretty exciting. He has 291 with five homers, five steals in 41 games. Um, and... The minor league track record was very impressive. Scott, your mic, is do, your, your mic is doing that thing again. So if you can move it around. I don't know what's going on with the microphone. We'll figure it Technical out. Technical difficulties. There you are. Sorry You're about back. that. Am, okay. am I back? Yes, you're good to go. Maybe I just have a bad cord here or something. But anyway, um, yeah, the minor league track record, very impressive for Grissom. Consistently low strikeout rates, consistently high batting averages, hit uh, 315 down in the minors, well, well, you know, stealing bases and showing pretty good power. So, yeah, like what I see from Vaughn Grissom. I agree with everything Scott said. So I am in on Vaughn Grissom. I think it's kind of a, if you miss out on everything else, if you miss out on Brandon Lau and Jorge Polanco and Jonathan India, yes, I would take India ahead of Vaughn Grissom. Then I do think it's like a break glass in case of emergency starter, which I have some amount of faith in. Obviously, he's still... You know, technically a, a rookie, so uh, keep that in mind for Vaughn Grissom. Uh, bus. He's technically not, but yeah, he, <laughs> he doesn't have much experience. Thank you, Scott, for fixing my technically. Um, bus <laughs> at the position. I'm just going to get us started here. Tyro Estrada at an ADP of 165. I'll point out we just did a mock draft where I think he lasted until pick like 250. At that point, sure, you could take a shot on Tyro Estrada, but at his ADP of 165, I do just kind of worry about it. He had an interesting skill set last year, 14 home runs, 21 steals. Uh, I don't know that I trust the power. He hit 14 home runs on 18 barrels. That's 78%. Last year, Aaron Judge was at 58%. Schwarber was at 60%. So not sure that I trust the power that Estrada showed. And he kind of has these splits going on. He's much better against left-handed pitching. So considering he plays for San Francisco, they usually like to kind of mix and match with the splits. It wouldn't surprise me if eventually he kind of falls into 
um, you know, uh, a short side of a platoon. That is Tyro Estrada. I am out at the current price. And Chris, a bust for you. Ozzy Albies. I was a little worried about him last season. I think even at his best, he was a bit of a compiler. You know, he was, he was someone who really benefited from getting a lot of plate appearances. And, you know, if he's not going to hit second, I think that could hurt him. And I just, given the, the price you're paying and, Thankfully, the price is a lot cheaper than it was last year. Last year, he was inside of the top 20 in ADP. It's a lot easier to stomach at 51.7 in in NFC leagues. But he posted the worst expected WOBA on contact of his career, 331. He's never been good in that regard. He doesn't really have like strong batted ball metrics. He's got that weird thing where he only really hits lefties at a really high level. And then he's just kind of okay against righties and so i just look at it and like i think there's a decent chance that he's just like a below average hitter who gets propped up by volume and if the volume's not there if he hits sixth more than he hits second i i think it could be like he's still going to be useful i don't think the bottom's going to fall out but i i could see a scenario where ozzy albies is a 265 hitter with 15 homers and 12 steals you know, like, I don't think that's like an outlandish projection for him. It's not the most likely outcome, but I think it's well within the realm of possibilities. Yeah, he's not likely to bottom out. But if that's if you think that's a realistic possibility, then he he probably is overvalued at his draft cost. You think he's more likely to do that than Marcus Simeon is? Uh, Yeah, just because I think Marcus Simeon, he doesn't have like Albies historically has been so dependent on crushing lefties for for the power production that I, I think there is more room for him to fall off. I guess because Semyon's older, there's more of a chance of just a skills fall off. And to be fair, if Marcus Simeon's season had effectively ended on June 16th or whenever Albies suffered the, the first injury, We'd probably be probably be talking about him being a outside the top 100 type player. So you know, it's there. There's certainly plenty of risk there for for Simeon as well. I I think so. Scott, you spoke about a bunch of the risks when it comes to the player you have as a bust here. Yet you keep drafting him. I know it's, it's Andres Jimenez, and like I was saying, it, it's one of those things where I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in him. But depending on how the draft plays out, it kind of makes sense to just hope, take him and hope for the best. I, I prefer Andres Jimenez at his price tag than I do Jazz Chisholm at his price tag. Like, I think the chance that J- Chisholm misses a lot of time and doesn't give you fourth round production is more likely than. Um, you know, like like I said, if Andres Jimenez follows up on last year's season, he's being underdrafted. So, it, like, I, I feel like some of the decline risk is baked in. I don't know why I'm making the case for drafting the guy I just picked as a bust, but uh, but yeah, I do for for not actually liking Jimenez that much. I find that I do end up taking him a lot. I mean, I'll 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 just point out that like we're talking about a guy who hit 218 literally the year before last. You know, he's very young. Or he was very young at that point. He's 22, uh, making his... It wasn't his major league debut. I guess he played in 2020 and was also not particularly good. Um, I I think he's one of those guys who's like... 
I think there's a thin margin for error for Andres Jimenez's production. I think he probably overperformed last season. And I, I don't think he has much room for the skill set to decline, is the way I would put it. If the skill set stays steady or improves, he'll be fine. He'll probably replicate last season. If the skill set declines, you know, if if the strikeout rate goes up because he's chasing too much or just the quality of contact goes down, if pitchers find holes in his very, very aggressive swing, I, I can definitely envision a a world where Andres Jimenez is like, yeah, we're done with this guy. He's a outside of the top 200 player next year. All things considered, the second baseman that you will target most, Scott, just give me an A. I'm going to say Jose Altuve. But maybe it'll end up being Ozzy Albies. Depends on whether I pick early in round three or late. All right, Chris. Brandon Lau. And I agree, Scott. I really want Jose Altuve or, or Jazz Chisholm. But, man, if the draft doesn't work out that way, I'm probably just waiting for, like, a Jorge Polanco type. You know, this is like, I, I got, I got, I'm on FFT tomorrow, and I got asked, like, who are my early favorite players for 2023? And I was like, hmm, well, Christian McCaffrey and Justin Jeffers. Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Who's your favorite like, second base? Yeah. My point is, this is the position I want to make a point to target early. I'm so. just, I'm just ribbing you. Okay, but I do, I, I, I agree with Scott. So I, I really do want to get one of those top names if I possibly could. Second base prospects to know, Scott. I have a few names here to quickly touch on. Michael Bush with the Dodgers, big pop, 32 home runs last year in the minors, 111 games at AAA. So. Seems like he's kind of knocking on the door here. Edward Julian with the Minnesota Twins. He hit 300 with a 441 OBP. He's got some power. He's got some speed. He lit it up in the Arizona Fall League as well. Connor Norby with the Baltimore Orioles. 29 homers, 16 steals last year. He's got some power. He's got some speed. Only got nine games in at AAA, so... Maybe it's more of like a mid-season, late-season call-up for the Orioles, but those were the top... Three big names for me, Scott. Uh, anything on those three and, and anyone else that I missed? No, this is, uh, I mean, as bad as second base is at the major league level, there's not a lot of help on the way. It's probably the least interesting position for prospects. I like Bush a lot, uh, but, you know, I, I don't know how far down the pecking order the Dodgers will have to go to get to him. It does look like a very Max Muncy-like skill set. Maybe it's just easy to say that because he's also the Dodgers, but a ton of walks, ton of power, some versatility around the infield. And Julian, you mentioned that 441 OBP. I like to call him the the French emperor of walks, kind of like Kevin Euclid was the Greek god of walks, because like that's that's something Julian uh, is just amazing at. And the fact that the Twins traded um, Luis Arias away makes it more likely Julian contributes this year, but I don't think it's a slam dunk. When I was out in Arizona watching the AFL Home Run Derby uh, in this past November. Some of the prospect people I were with were, were wondering how many pitches he was going to take during the home run derby. Edward Julian, just to put put that in perspective, he is incredibly patient, probably borderline passive. Um, so keep that in mind for him in OBP and, and head-to-head points leagues. Let's get back into the rest of ADP. Uh, three interesting names from picks 160 to 180. We spoke about some of these already. Tyro Estrada at pick 165. Jorge Polanco at pick 169. Brandon Lau at pick 178. Chris, make the case for Brandon Lau, somebody I know you like. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's mostly just the injury that's holding him back. And I know back injuries are scary, and we tend to react to back injuries. I don't want to say overreact because 
you know, you look at Christian Yelich and he hasn't been the same since. But, you know, I, I do think like it's the kind of thing where if Brandon Lau's healthy, the quality of contact metrics before last season suggested that he's the kind of player who should be able to continue mashing regardless of which baseball he's using. Um, you know, he was a basically 38 homer pace guy from 2020, 2019 through 2021. And he just was never healthy last season. I think that's what it comes down to. So if he's healthy, I think Brendan Lau is going to be, you know, arguably the best power option at the position. He suffered a stress reaction in his back in lower May. Brandon Lau did. And I just believe he was never the same. Kind of like how I'm calling a mulligan for Jonathan India. I'm doing the same thing with Brandon Lau from 2019 through 2021. Lau hit 70 home runs. That was third best at the position. 869 OPS. That was second best and a 14.7% barrel rate. That was first among all second basemen during that time. Four names going between picks 180 and 200. We have Jeff McNeil at an ADP of 181, Jake Cronenworth at 186, Vaughn Grissom at 190.5, and Jonathan India at 193. We spoke about the last two names on that list. Scott, Jeff McNeil won the NL batting title last year, 327 batting average but doesn't really provide much else. So if you need batting average you know, later on in your drafts as a middle infielder, okay, but keep in mind, you're not going to get much else from Jeff McNeil. Mm-hmm. And Jake Cronenworth kind of came up as that player, Scott. His skill set has, has really changed over the past three years. He's hitting more fly balls. He's trying to be a slugger. It's not really working out. It's just lower batting average, middling home runs, but... The counting stats should be really, really good hitting in the middle of that Padres lineup. Uh, do you like either McNeil or Cronenworth? No, I don't. I wouldn't say I like either. They're both fine if you miss out on uh, the stud second baseman or the bounce back candidates at the position. Then I'm okay settling for the relative mediocrity of these two. And I'll, I'll point out that both uh, both uh, McNeil and Cronenworth averaged about as many points per game last year as Andres Jimenez. So that is, you know, if you play in a points league, then I don't think it's the worst strategy in the world. Obviously, those tend to be shallower to just wait till very late and fill your second space base spot with Cronenworth and McNeil. It's, they're not going to give you stud production, but it, it'll be, it'll probably be good enough. And I do wonder if Cronenworth's going to be one of those guys who just randomly becomes a base dealer in this new environment. I think that's within the realm of possibility for him, though it's hard to predict that given his lack of stolen bases so far as a major leaguer. Cronenworth, 88 runs scored, 88 RBI last year in 158 games. Projected to bat fifth in the Padres lineup. So behind Tatis, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, it's, it's going to be pretty awesome for, for Jake Cronenworth. Uh, the actual production, I'm not so sure. Counting stats should be very good. Four more names going from picks 200 to 240. Luis Arise, ADP 202.5. John Birdie at pick 210. Colton Wong at 223.5. And Cattell Marte, how the mighty have fallen. 236 is the ADP for Marte. Uh, Luis Arise traded to the Marlins this offseason. I think that's probably the arrow is trending down for Luis Arise's value. That probably means John Birdie's value is trending down too. I just don't really see how he's going to get enough playing time. Chris, I think Colton Wong is perfectly fine as a middle infield option in a Roto League. 15 home runs, 17 steals last year. However, he was traded to the Mariners this offseason. That's a a pretty big uh, park shift downgrade going from Milwaukee to Seattle. 
Uh, and then there's good old Cattell Marte. Do you find yourself going back to the well? I, I think Cattell Marte is clearly the, the best value here. I know I've been the Cattell Marte guy, and I steered, I mean, at least dozens of people astray last year with that love. Anybody who listened to me on that one. Uh, and it's possible that in this new environment where the ball doesn't travel as far, playing in a massive home park that has been a very tough place to hit for power over the past couple of seasons, Cattell Marte may just not be uh, a power hitter despite still having very good quality of contact metrics. He did have 42 doubles last season. You know, only 12 home runs, 42 doubles in 137 games. So, like, it's not out of the question that seven of those doubles turn into home runs and all of a sudden the profile starts to look a lot better. But yeah, I'm certainly less confident that Cattell Marte is going to be a very good hitter than I was this time last year. But at this price, I think it it makes a lot of sense to bet on a bounce back because it's there's no there's no bet to be made. This is one of those situations where, like I was saying earlier, my experience does not match up with the averages anywhere close to it. And the averages don't make any sense, frankly. Like, Tyro Estrada is going 70 spots ahead of Cattell Marte? No, second base is the first one of these positions where, like, the ADP numbers that we're looking at just don't make sense for it. Like, Whit Merrifield at 155.5, that was one where I just looked it up and I was like, that that can't be right. I'm I'm not saying it's not right. Frank's good at his job. I'm sure he has the correct numbers. <laughs> yeah. I just don't I, understand. I just don't think we have enough data yet is, is the problem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're, we're taking this from Fantasy Pros. They're back. They had a third data source in there for a while for ADP. They're back down to two now, NFBC and... Um, but even NFBC, like, Merrifield's going 30 spots ahead of Cattell Marte. I'd rather just take the shot on yeah. Cattell Marte. Who, but, who's... like, yeah, once I, I'm saying once we get, you know, five or six sources of ADP, yeah. I imagine there's going to be, and just the fact that a lot more people are going to be drafting at that point, I, I imagine we're going to see some correction here, and Cattell Marte is going to be the one going closer to, you know, the 150 to 180 range than outside the top 225. In this mock draft that we did on Tuesday night, Cattell Marte went at pick 134, so... Right. That's too early. Yeah. Probably but so. It's probably it closer than... It's probably closer to right than, you know, 236. And, and it's what I keep seeing when we draft. Like, yeah. I, and I it's never, not just me. I never get Cattell Marte falling in my lap after pick 200. That's ridiculous. The ADP... I, one, one thing I do want to go back to, I don't quite understand... Jeff McNeil going 20 spots ahead of Luis Arias. I get that, you know, it's the Marlins and, you know, it's a worse park, but he's going to hit leadoff. He's going to get a lot of opportunities. They Arises. were base. Yeah. Yeah. They I mean, were, it's, a, it's, it, I, I thought they were pretty close to the same. Yeah. When Arise was still in Minnesota, but now it's like clearly a much, much worse <laughs> lineup than, than McNeil's going to be batting. I think that's, I think that's probably a worse lineup, but McNeil's going to hit sixth probably right yeah and i mean i'd rather have the better lineup than the better lineup spot right or no uh, lineup spots that. worth on average about 20 plate appearances over the course of the season now lineup spot isn't static if jeff mcneil hits sixth over the course of a full season Luis harias hits first there's gonna be a big difference between those two though plus the secondary eligibility it's first base for a rise it's out sure. for mcneil so that helps too ross the resource has jeff mcneil batting fifth in the lineup and I kind of trust it because, man, the bottom of the Mets lineup, Dan, Daniel Vogelbach, Mark Canna, 
Eduardo Escobar, Omar Narvaez. Look, I don't want to hear any any uh, criticism of Daniel Vogelbach from the Rowdy Telez <laughs> brothers over here, all right? <laughs> Uh, those, Chris, those two guys are the same person. Chris, how have we done you've three never position? Seen them in the same, you've never seen them in the <laughs> same place before. Have we, how have we done three position previews, Chris, and we haven't said the words big, beefy baseball boy yet? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm slacking. Yeah, it's, it's a bad job. Bad job by all of us. Five second baseman going from picks 240 to 280. Gene Segura with an ADP of 245.5. Christopher Morell at also 245.5. Gavin Lux at 262. Bryson Stott, 267.5. Brendan Rodgers down at 278.5. There's a lot going on here. Anyone who listened last year, you know I love Gene Segura. I continue to love Gene Segura. Yes, he signed with the Miami Marlins. He's just serviceable. 266 batting average or better in seven straight seasons. 10 home runs, 13 steals in 98 games last year. That is a 15 homer, uh, 19 steal pace over 150 games. I think he's serviceable. I'm totally fine with Gene Segura as a middle infielder in, in any type of Roto League. And the Brendan Rodgers hate, it feels like it's gone too far, 278.5. He got off to an awful start last year. But from May 1st on, he hit 286 with 13 home runs and a 783 OPS. It's I mean, look, basically Brendan Rodgers. Like I said earlier in the show, He's one of the guys who like the the quality of contact metrics and the the expected stats aren't great. 326 expected Woba last year. That came with a 321 Woba, which for most players you think, okay, that's probably what he should have had. But at Coors Field, he probably should have had a 350 uh, actual Woba just because it still inflates production. And so, you know, it, it... it hasn't happened for him yet, and I don't think Brandon, Brandon Rogers is ever going to steal bases. But like, I could, you can squint and see like a Xander Bogarts esque profile here, where he like hits two eighty five with twenty five homers. Counting stats will be what they are, although they'll be better than they should be because Coors Field is is the Rockies' home park still. So. I, I definitely think Brandon Rogers still definitely has breakout potential. I don't think that he can even get to 20 home runs, Chris, unless he makes a launch angle change because he hits the ball hard, but mm-hmm. a 52% ground ball rate for his career, sure. it's just way too many ground balls for Brandon Rogers. Uh, Scott, we haven't said anything about Christopher Morell, Gavin Lux, Bryson Stott. They're all young and... I mean, I guess Christopher Morell is at Young. least interesting. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know what else to say. Look, Christopher Morell, yeah. they are all young. His max EV is 88th percentile. His sprint speed is 88th percentile. He just strikes out a lot. I, I think he's yeah. kind of an interesting player. And he struck out a lot in the minors too. And I, I don't even know that they have a like the Cubs. I don't even know that they have a spot for him. Uh, I know. Uh, roster resource pencils him in at third base, but that puts Patrick Wisdom on the bench. I think Wisdom's better, to be honest. So I don't, I don't really see much reason to, you know, Morel can steal some bases, and so everybody likes that. But I, I don't, I don't think he's going to be a major contributor in fantasy this season. Uh, I like Bryson Stott a little more, frankly, just because the playing time's more assured, and at least he makes good contact, um, regular contact, I should say. Uh, Gavin Lux seems to be getting some buzz in fantasy. I think that's just carryover effect from his time as a top prospect. Like the batting average should be pretty decent, but we're talking about 10, 10 upside, maybe 10 homer, 10 steal, maybe a dozen, a dozen 
in a best case scenario, I think. And considering he bats left-handed in the Dodgers or the Dodgers, I don't know that it's going to be quite every day at bats for Gavin Lux anyway. So this looks like a group of like deep fallback options to me that probably aren't going to come into play except in you know like a 15-team Roto League. On a different team, Gavin Lux could probably steal 20 bases. He's certainly got the speed for it, but it's not going to happen on the Dodgers. And I just... I don't know what it is because he's like big and like I feel like there was a picture of his like biceps that got people excited recently and like but he's just like a slap hitter. I don't know what like why he's a slap hitter. He shouldn't be but he just like something whatever his swing is it's like he slaps at the ball instead of trying to drive it and it's just there's not much to be optimistic about in his profile. And he's another one Gavin Lux where he just hits too many ground balls too and I know I say this like it's so easy and I'm someone who's <laughs> talking behind a mic about fantasy baseball, right? Like it's not real. And I'm just saying, hey, raise your launch angle. It's that easy. I know it's not easy. So someone like Brendan Rodgers or Gavin Lux, this is how they swing. And, and it's mm-hmm. probably not going to change. So I realize but like, that. But I think there is value in the later rounds in targeting those kinds of players who like, you know, we, when we talked about third base, I said the same thing about Cabrian Hayes and Alec Bohm, where it's the likeliest outcome is these guys are going to keep being who they've been. But there is always that room for a big step forward, even if it's not sustainable. You know, we saw it with Eric Hosmer in the shortened season, but like those kinds of guys, I'm always going to have val- I'm always going to have interest in, in targeting them late. Yeah, launch angle low launch angle saying. guys because, you know, Gavin Lux less so because his quality of contact metrics are really poor. Even without the the launch angle issues, I, I think it's more true of Brendan Rodgers or or Alec Bohm or Cabrian Hayes. But it's it's very much a like they just need to tweak one thing, and it's a really big tweak, and it's a really difficult thing to do. But if they do manage it, it's a lot easier to see a, a step forward for a guy like that than Bryson Stott, in my opinion, anyway. I kind of like Bryson Stott. In he fact, is, he's I, young. I think he could. He is young. That is <laughs> that is a fact. He's entering his age 25 season. He's not that young. 91st percentile sprint speed, and he had nine steals in the second half. So I'm just going to at least throw it out there. There's a chance Bryson Stott steals 20-plus bases this yeah, year. there is. Sure, yeah. Uh, 380p or later. I mean, we're talking the deepest of leagues. Uh, just some names, some interesting things here. Uh, Nick Gordon, the power metrics know 86 percentile and expected slug i don't know he's gonna have enough playing time with minnesota but again it's at least interesting luis ranjifo nice little flash in the pan last year i don't know how much faith the angels have in him because they brought in a bunch of names this offseason but he had 17 home runs and six deals in 125 games brendan donovan with the cardinals he's kind of this jeff mcneil luisa rise light if you can imagine someone being lighter than those two, that's exactly what Brendan Donovan is. Uh, Chris Taylor, he's one year removed from 20 homers and 13 steals, but the strikeout rate was exorbitant last year. And Nolan Gorman, he was a fun prospect that we talked about last offseason. He's still young. He's got power, but he's got big strikeouts and big struggles against left-handed pitching on a stacked team. Yeah, yeah and the Cardinals just don't seem that motivated to play him either. It's it's. Yep. Weird, given the caliber of prospect he was going back to age 18, uh, that, you know, it's it, you don't often see a prospect of that caliber come up and just kind of become a forgotten man. But I feel like that's both in fantasy and in real life. That's what's happened to Nolan Gorman. 
big power upside, I think, still. But will he get the chance? I don't know. He was really uh, bad defensively last season, and that, which and that hurts. doesn't help. I mean, he's playing out of position at second base because he's naturally a third baseman. But obviously, Nolan Arenado has that position locked down. I do want to bring up one name who isn't on here, Frank, who I like more than a lot of these guys you've rattled off. Can I guess um, it? Go ahead. Michael Massey. It's Michael Massey yeah. of the Royals. Yes, I think uh, he's the one who took over after they traded with Merrifield in the second half last year. Really impressive minor league track record, average power, speed. And um, I think he ended up with only four home runs. But like if you if, if you look at expected home runs across all of Major League Baseball, it would have been a lot more home runs than four if he had played virtually everywhere or else, like twice as many home runs. It would have been like 15 if he played in Cincinnati. Of course, he is playing in Kansas City still, but... Take advantage of those road games, Michael Massey, and uh, use those other tools that you have. And I think you could end up being a worthwhile fantasy contributor. So he's somebody I'll be targeting late in 15 team leagues a lot. Chris, anything real quick on these uh, super late round names? I don't find any of them particularly interesting. I think Massey's probably the, the most interesting of them. And then Gorman, it's like... If there's a pl- a path to playing time, he's definitely someone that like if there's an injury, you know, God forbid to like Nolan Arenado at some point in the season, that might be one. Although Jordan Walker might be ahead of him in that uh, instance anyway. But you know, if there's does look like there's a chance for him to play, he'll definitely be someone we write about on the waiver wire column. All right. Well, Chris, watch what you say about those Cardinals, or you'll have at least you know five of them yelling at you on Twitter. No, I think I blocked all those guys. <laughs> all right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.